from the trenches. I'm here with BGL founder Ron Lesh. Ron, how are you? I'm I'm wonderful, Paul. Absolutely wonderful. Great to hear. We are here in the BGL offices. I have come to uh, to interview Ron off the leash with Ron Lesh, uh, one of the series we like to bring you. BGL, obviously a massive sponsor of From the Trenches. We are in election fever, Ron. Election fever. Uh, there is so much getting around. All of the uh, ministers, those who aren't being uh, de- <laughs> deregistered and, and all sorts of stuff, are on the hustings. You mean those that aren't in strip clubs. Exactly, yes. yes. Yeah, overseas and soliciting money and, and, yeah. and visiting those sorts of places. Uh, but all the other ones are touring around the country. There is a lot on. Uh, let's go through. I know you've got strong opinions on, on these type of, type of things. Let's go through them. Bill Shorten out there calling accountants, uh, calling it the accountant rort. What's your feeling? Well, look, I, I, I issued a media release almost immediately when I saw that. I, I just think it's disgusting that um, one of the most trusted professions are being told by a potential future prime minister that they're rorters. Um, you look at work that accountants do, the work they do for clients, they so often they undercharge rather than overcharge. Um, they try to provide their clients with the with benefits. They actually do work in the client's interests because there aren't any other interests for them to work in. Uh, and, and being cold wrought is, is just ridiculous. Now, this $3,000 cap that, uh, that Shorten wants to put on, on accountants' fees for individuals is ridiculous. You know, what happens if somebody's getting divorced? Uh, what happens if somebody's migrating to Australia? What happens if somebody's buying a business? Um, are they only going to be allowed to deduct $3,000 in accounting fees as part of that process? That's, that's just discriminatory and ridiculous. Uh, again, very poorly thought through policy. And I think absolutely, you're right, those life events clearly become um, a major part in people's lives. And when, when they need it, they can't get it. And, and we know that, that uh, you know, 71% of individuals go through an agent uh, and if that was ever to go on to businesses, you, you would sort of have serious questions mm. as well. Well, the, the, you know, Shorten talks about the wealthy, um, the people earning more than a million dollars. And I think the tax office came back and said there were only about 12 people that had a, a more than a million dollars in salaries uh, salaries and wages uh, th- this year uh, in Australia. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, those 12 uh, are... are probably paying a lot more than $3,000 in fees, but then they're also paying a hell of a lot more in tax. A lot of that was uh, ATO interest as well in, in those tax stats that I looked at. Let's move on, though. We have uh, – uh, and this, let's focus on – I mean, clearly this election cycle, especially for accountants, does focus on the Labor Party because they seem to be the ones meddling in the tax affairs. Chris Bowen? who is uh, job interviewing for Federal Treasurer, seems to not be able to get his franking credit <laughs> calculation right and, and all of their changes. What's your view on those? Well, look, look, we start to talk about franking credits. You know, franking credits, what, what they've designed, as you would call a retiree's tax, it's specifically aimed at taking money out of the hands primarily of self-funded retirees um, and, and individuals who might own a few dollars as a result of franking credits and get a refund. Um, it just you think about it, it just doesn't work. You know what happens if they get a salary and and the the, the 
the employer takes up too much tax, is the tax office going to hold on to that as well? It's, you know, uh, or the government going to hold on to that as well? Because it's the same thing. This is tax that has been paid by companies on behalf of shareholders. And all that franking credits are is getting back money that's been paid on your behalf. Are we going to reduce the tax rate for the company? So, so they pay ta- less tax. So therefore, they can pass on a higher dividend to, to shareholders. You know, no, we're not talking about that. We're talking about taking money out of the hands of people. And the people it's going to affect most are our clients or our BGL clients and their clients. So it's going to affect them because it's going to take money out of what they get back and what they rely on every year as part of their income. And that's a a great point. I think that, that, I mean, accountants clearly get it, but what the the narrative's lost out there is imputation is just ensuring that for every dollar of income, the right amount of tax is paid on it. If they want to change, if they want to change and actually tax retirees on income, then the franking credits aren't refundable. They're only refundable because because the legislation is that that is your level of income. 100%. If tax has already been paid on that dollar, you can't have double taxation mm. on that dollar. And that's that, all imputation credits are. Correct. And that's what removing imputation credits is. It's effectively double taxation. Absolutely. Okay, let's move on. Labor again, negative gearing. Now, a lot has been said. There is, I feel, so much misinformation around uh, around this. What's your view? Well, look, I've, I've got a long memory because the last time the Labor government decided to, a Labor government under a Paul Keating, if I remember, decided to get rid of um, or, or, or to make uh, negative gearing to quarantine any losses that you made from negative gearing, what happened to the housing market? Well, the first thing that happened is supply went down. The second thing that happened was rents went up. And in terms of property prices, it didn't affect property prices at all. Um, so, you know, the whole argument about, oh, it's going to bring down property prices, we're only allowed on new, new real estate, it's just, it's just a furphy. It just, history tells us that you get rid of negative gearing, it pushes up rents and it doesn't affect property prices significantly. But what's more concerning with this is it's not just property. You know, the, the Labor announced uh, a couple of days ago this will apply to shares and it'll apply to, is it going to apply to business assets that you negatively gear? Where does it end? Where, where does it end? It's 100% correct. And is it going to be quarantined and deductible against future capital gains? We don't know because with everything they've announced, it's all short on detail. Yeah, and, and I think that's the unfortunate thing about an election cycle is it, it is really government by press release at the moment and mm. and it, it's probably a, a benefit or an opportunity of being in opposition that they don't have to have the detail whereas the government have to rele- release a budget mm. and a lot of their... Uh, election pitches are there. Changes to capital gains as well. I mean, that's another one that that Labor are flagging. What's your thoughts? Well, look, again, people have invested on the basis of um, receiving a capital gain at the end on which they would be taxed at 50%. Now Labor wants to tax them at 25% to to put more money into the government coffers. Um, I just think if, if you... If you quarantined it, if you said, or if you put a start date on it from certain date and didn't apply it to previous assets, would would be fine, I think. But uh, and, and that's a decision we have to make as a community. What do we want our level of capital gains tax to be? Do we want to be like New Zealand, doesn't have a capital gains tax, or do we want to be like other countries that have huge capital gains tax? Do we, do we want to be like America, where you pass capital gains through? Um, and you offset them against future purchases. You know, we've got to decide what sort of system works for us. But we've got to have a system at the moment where people have invested on the basis that they're going to get taxed at 50% 
uh, and, uh, are going to pay tax on 50%. Now you want them to pay tax on 25%. Again, screwing up people's retirement plans, people's wealth plans, all this sort of stuff. Uh, it's just not fair. Good for compliance. Good. Yeah. I, I love, that's, that's my, you know, that's good, my, good, that's good my for, angle. Good for the compliance <laughs> accountants, yes. I know. We we can't, we're too busy. We're too busy keeping up with the rules to be rorting anything, Maybe I think. Look, true. let's talk overall. I mean, the successive governments, and we, and we probably can't just tag either side with this, and Correct. this overly isn't political. You know, we're, we're accountants are, if nothing, professional sceptics, and we're just practical about what, what the changes mean for us and our clients. Um, successive governments have just taken super and, and, and really just... It's been through a, a washing machine, I think. It's changed and had... Um, it's bolted on. You know, where do you see it at the moment? Where do you see sort of, I guess, it under under either side mm. um, as we go through this election cycle? And you know, and what's the future for it? Yeah. Look, that's an interesting question. I um, I, I, w- I was very critical of the 1.6 million cap. I thought the way that it was implemented to effectively tax some of people's super benefits uh, when they'd done things only that the government had told them to do, which was to save, um, I think was just wrong. I. But really, the big mistake, if we're talking about it, goes back to when Costello, in the first place, decided that the money coming out of super was going to be tax-free. You know, before that, there was some tax paid on it. You know, we look at almost everywhere else in the world, super isn't taxed on the way in. What's in a fund is not taxed, and it's taxed at normal rates on the way on the way out, maybe with some exemptions. Now, why we never implemented that system in this country is is beyond me. All because of really, uh, I suppose, poor advice from our treasuries uh, treasury at the time, and consistently poor advice, uh, and uh, and we've ended up with a real mess. You know, now Shorten's talking about a whole lot of other stuff. You know, we're trying to get people to save for retirement, but we're making it so bloody difficult for them to save. It's it's really dumb. We want to get them off the pension, but we don't want them to put any money away because they might get a tax benefit for it. Well, it, the cost of being on the pension is significantly more than any tax benefit that they're going to get over time. Philosophically, is it is it an admin uh, your uh, disagreement with the one point six cap? Is it is it administratively? And I think <laughs> pretty much everyone has an administrative. The way they rolled it out was was an abomination. Or is it philosophical that there are people that perhaps have? And there's not many people with a balance over 1.6. Let's be honest, the figures are, you know, overwhelmingly the balances aren't that high. But, you know, do you think philosophically there should be a cap for people who have used the legislation as it was? You know, some of those people at that level, do they need that much to retire? Well, look, I I, I suppose there's a a philosophical argument that maybe maybe they should or maybe they shouldn't be taxed. But I, I would have thought if you tax the income that they received from the fund and you put rules in place as we do have already as to how much they have to receive every year, they're going to get taxed on it. You know, you might say, okay, we're going to give them the first 50K tax-free. After that, we're going to tax it at normal rates. Um, I don't think anybody would complain about that, quite honestly. Um, I think the complaint is is, is that the changes and the complications and, and, and it just made it so difficult. And, and effectively, if you've got money over the 1.6, you can pull it out anyway. Yeah. So, you know, and, and it's not taxed when you pull it out. So yeah, what, the whole system in some respects doesn't make a lot of sense as the way it's been designed. Well, we had a lot to do with trying to get the, at least the reporting side of it to be reasonable. Uh, we got some really good concessions from the ATO, uh, so that worked out well. Um, but, the, you know, the, the system itself is just so complicated for something that doesn't need to be that complicated. Yeah, absolutely. What, what else is around? Like in this election cycle, we've heard of all of the, the fear comes out and all of the, 
the words and, and it seems like all of the um, interest groups and the unions and that kind of stuff, everyone weighs in on, on what mm. could be coming. You know, what else is there? There, There is talk of death taxes and, and, you know, we don't want to assume that any of this is true, but, you know, what are you hearing? Well, look, I'm hearing all sorts of different things in different places and I, I, in some respects I don't place that much credibility on any of it. You read the papers. I, I am concerned about a death tax. There are a lot of people in the Labor Party, in the Greens um, and in the unions who want a death tax. Um, should we go back to death taxes? We had death taxes many years ago. We got rid of them. Um, so that's something I'm really concerned about uh, that we could end up with because nothing would surprise me with what uh, a shortened government could do. We really don't know how much revenue they're going to raise from the changes that they're making. You know, the, the figure of $387 billion has been, over 10 years has been thrown around. That's come from Treasury, but that's all based on assumptions and a lot of the figures that they're basing those assumptions on uh, could change. You know, we're already seeing behaviours are changing with people who've got shares, they're moving into other types of investments that don't have franking credits but maybe give them a higher return. They're moving more into overseas uh, that doesn't have franking credits because we're not touching foreign credits, remember. We're only touching Exactly. Foreign credits aren't refundable anyway, but, you know, we're we're still allowing people to have those. So there's a whole lot of ways that what they're suggesting may not produce the revenue that they expect. So what happens if it doesn't? You know, Shilton's promised all this money on climate schemes and on this and on that and on something else, and who knows where it's going to end up? So, you know, is a death tax possible? I reckon if they're running short of money, that's certainly a place they're going to look. What other sort of taxes can they bring in? Could they, you know, what are they going to get through the Senate? Who knows what the composition of the Senate's going to be? At the moment, it's, it's really all over the place. You listen to the media, Clive Palmer's telling everyone he's going to have control. You listen to the Greens, they're going to have control of everything. Uh, I, I think the Greens are dangerous. Um, you know, you listen to Di Natale and some of the things he wants to do will just send the country broke. So I just think, think they're incredibly dangerous. But, yeah, look, I don't know. There's, there's so much that's been thrown around at the moment. They're throwing money. You know, Shorten yesterday was giving money to childcare workers to bring the, give them, giving them $11,000 and said, oh, we're going to do this for other groups. Today he said, oh, no, we're not going to do it for other groups. You know, what can you believe that's coming out of any of the politicians' mouths? It, it is, it's a very fluid situation and I think that's, um, you know, that, that's been a part of the problem politically for a long time. A very important point about the makeup of the parliament, uh, whether we actually, and I think we've, successive governments have been very close to that, needing a lot of crossbenches mm. and, 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 and sort of... This one's going to be worse. Yeah, and, and look, it certainly it certainly seems that way. Uh, Ron, w- what's your advice to the industry? The accountants out there have, uh, have clients, we have uh, connections with 98% of businesses and 71% of individuals are, are the tax agent mm. stats, you know, what should accountants and bookkeepers do to um, when they're on the streets, when they're in client meetings, you know, when they're in their own homes, in their yeah. own friendship groups and barbecues? Yeah. What what should the industry do, in your opinion? Yeah. Well, look, we're, we're going to do an email today which will be a call to arms. Um, we think accountants have to get out there and tell their clients the things that are coming out in this election and how it's going to affect them because they've got to make a decision how they vote. And while you can vote on, I've always voted for somebody or um, I like this policy or I don't like this policy, in the end a lot of it comes down to self-interest. And and I just think people need to understand, firstly, how some of the stuff that's uh, being proposed is unfair 
Uh, and secondly, what effect it's going to have on them. So I'm, I'm actually going to write an email to our clients today and I'm going to say to them, your, part of your job as an accountant is to educate your clients about what's going on from a tax perspective through this election. Unfortunately, most people don't understand the effect that these things are having uh, and they listen to the slogans and they listen to this and, you know, they hear retiree tax, oh, that's not such a bad idea. Well, maybe, yeah, they need to understand exactly what's happening with all this stuff. So that, that's what, I'm, what, what I think is necessary. That's what I think the profession should be doing. I understand the accounting organisations can't do it because they've got to be friends with no matter who gets elected. Similarly with a lot of the public company um, accounting, uh, accounting software suppliers, uh, they, they don't want to be on the wrong side of government either, so they're not prepared to stick their necks out. But look, I'm, I'm prepared to stick mine out and I'm prepared to go out there and, and say to accountants, you need to and make sure that your clients understand what's coming and, and I think potentially that, coming. And I think that's great in terms of, especially in terms of a practical sense. You know, what, what is the practical application of this? We're not obviously saying out and necessarily grab a banner for a particular colour of political yep. party. It's just, you know, understand, have the confidence to understand the practical, the practical view of what may be coming. Ron Lesh, thank you as always uh, and we look forward to chatting with you again. Thank you, Paul. And, and by the way, I miss your other half. David, yes. I know. Apparently the listeners said that he gets every interview, so that's why you got me today. Uh, there you go. But he'll be back again. Okay, no <laughs> Have a great day. You too. Bye. Thanks again for listening to an episode of From the Trenches. David and I love to hear from listeners, so you can reach out if you've got feedback or story ideas. Get in touch. I can be reached on Twitter at Paul Meissner underscore or on LinkedIn, Paul Meissner. I'm on Twitter at David Boyar, B-O-Y-A-R, on LinkedIn, David Boyar. From the Trenches.